Section 2 of La Samoire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lazarus. La Samoire by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Vizitelli. Second part of Chapter 1. For an instant the children continued sobbing. Their mother, who remained bending over the bed, held them both in her embrace, and kept repeating the same words in a monotonous tone of voice. Ah, oh, if it weren't for you, my poor little ones, if it weren't for you, if it weren't for you. Stretched out quietly, his eyes raised to the faded strip of chintz, Lantier no longer listened, but seemed to be buried in a fixed idea. He remained thus for nearly an hour, without giving way to sleep, in spite of the fatigue which weighed his eyelids down. He finally turned towards Gervaise, his voice set hard in determination. She had gotten the children up and dressed, and had almost finished cleaning the room. The room looked, as always, dark and depressing, with its sooty black ceiling and paper peeling from the damp walls. The dilapidated furniture was also streaked and dirty, despite frequent dustings. Gervaise, devouring her grief, trying to assume a look of indifference, hurried over her work. Lantier watched as she tidied her hair in front of the small mirror hanging near the window. While she washed herself, he looked at her bare arms and shoulders. He seemed to be making comparisons in his mind as his lips formed a grimace. Gervaise limped with her right leg, though it was scarcely noticeable, except when she was tired. Today, exhausted from remaining awake all night, she was supporting herself against the wall and dragging her leg. Neither one spoke. They had nothing more to say. Lantier seemed to be waiting, while Gervaise kept busy and tried to keep her countenance expressionless. Finally, while she was making a bundle of the dirty clothes thrown in the corner behind the trunk, he at length opened his lips and asked, "'What are you doing there? What, where are you going?' She did not answer at first. Then, when he furiously repeated his question, she made up her mind and said, "'I suppose you can see for yourself I'm going to wash all this. The children can't live in filth.' He let her pick up two or three handkerchiefs, and after a fresh pause— he resumed. "'Have you got any money?' At these words she stood up and looked him full in the face, without leaving go of the children's dirty clothes which she held in her hand. "'Money? And where do you think I can have stolen any? You know well enough that I got three francs the day before yesterday on my black skirt. We've lunched twice off it, and money goes quick at the pork butchers. Now you may be quite sure I've no money.' I've four sous for the wash-house. I don't have an extra income like some women. He let this allusion pass. He had moved off the bed and was passing in review the few rags hanging about the room. He ended by taking up the pair of trousers and the shawl and searching the drawers. He added two chemises and a woman's loose jacket to the parcel. Then he threw the whole bundle into Gervaise's arms, saying, Here, go and pop this. "'Don't you want me to go pop the children as well?' asked she. "'Yeah, if they lent on children it would be a fine riddance.' She went to the pawn-place, however. When she returned at the end of half an hour, she laid a hundred-sous piece on the mantel-shelf, 
and added the ticket to the others between the two candlesticks. "'That's what they gave me,' said she. "'I wanted six francs, but I couldn't manage it. "'Oh, they'll never ruin themselves, and there's always such a crowd there.' Landier did not pick up the five-franc piece directly. He would rather that she got change so as to leave her some of it. But he decided to slip it into his waistcoat pocket when he noticed a small piece of ham wrapped up in paper and the remains of a loaf on the chest of drawers. I didn't dare go to the milkwoman's because we owe her a week, explained Gervaise, but I shall be back early. You can get some bread and some chops while I'm away, and then we'll have lunch. Bring also a bottle of wine. He did not say no. Their quarrels seemed to be forgotten. The young woman was completing her bundle of dirty clothes, but when she went to take Lantier's shirts and socks from the bottom of the trunk, he called to her to leave them alone. "'Leave my things, do you hear? I don't want them touched.' "'What is it you don't want touched?' she asked, rising up. "'I suppose you don't mean to put these filthy things on again, do you? They must be washed.' She studied his boyish, handsome face, now so rigid that it seemed nothing could ever soften it. He angrily grabbed his things from her and threw them back into the trunk, saying, "'Just obey me for once, I tell you. I won't have them touched.' "'But why?' she asked, turning pale, a terrible suspicion crossing her mind. "'You don't need your shirts now. You're not going away. What can it matter to you if I take them?' He hesitated for an instant, embarrassed by the piercing glance she fixed upon him. "'Why, why?' stammered he. "'Because you go and tell everyone that you keep me, that you wash and mend. Well, it worries me. There, attend to your own business, and I'll attend to mine. Washerwomen don't work for dogs.' She supplicated. She protested she had never complained, but he roughly closed the trunk and sat down upon it, saying, "'No.' to her face. He could surely do as he liked with what belonged to him. Then, to escape from the inquiring look she leveled at him, he went and laid down on the bed again, saying that he was sleepy, and requested her not to make his head ache with any more of her row. This time, indeed, he seemed to fall asleep. Gervaise, for a while, remained undecided. She was tempted to kick the bundle of dirty clothes on one side, and to sit down and sew. But Lantier's regular breathing ended by reassuring her. She took the ball of blue and the piece of soap remaining from her last washing, and going up to the little ones who were quietly playing with some old corks in front of the window, she kissed them and said in a low voice, "'Be very good. Don't make any noise. Papa's asleep.' When she left the room, Claude's and Etienne's gentle laughter alone disturbed the great silence beneath the blackened ceiling. It was ten o'clock, a ray of sunshine entered by the half-open window. On the boulevard, Gervaise turned to the left and followed the Rue Neuve de la Goutte d'Or. As she passed Madame Fossonier's shop, she slightly bowed her head. The wash-house she was bound for was situated towards the middle of the street, at the part where the roadway commenced to ascend. The rounded great contours of the three large zinc wash-tanks studded with rivets rose above the flat-roofed building. Behind them was the drying-room, a high second story, closed in on all sides by narrow slatted lattices, so that the air could circulate freely and through which laundry could be seen hanging on brass wires. 
The steam engine's smokestack exhaled puffs of white smoke to the right of the water tanks. Gervaise was used to puddles and did not bother to tuck her skirts up before making her way through the doorway, which was cluttered with jars of bleaching water. She was already acquainted with the mistress of the wash-house, a delicate little woman with red inflamed eyes, who sat in a small glazed closet with account-books in front of her. Bars of soap on shelves, balls of blue in glass bottles, and pounds of soda done up in packets— and as she passed she asked for her beetle and her scouring-brush, which she had left to be taken care of the last time she had done her washing there. Then, after obtaining her number, she entered the wash-house. It was an immense shed with large clear windows and a flat ceiling, showing the beams supported on cast-iron pillars. Pale rays of light passed through the hot steam, which remained suspended like a milky fog. Smoke rose from certain corners, spreading about and covering the recesses with a bluish veil. A heavy moisture hung around, impregnated with a soapy odour, a damp, insipid smell, continuous though at moments overpowered by the more potent fumes of the chemicals. Along the washing places on either side of the central alley were rows of women with bare arms and necks, and skirts tucked up showing coloured stockings and heavy lace-up shoes. They were beating furiously, laughing, leaning back to call out a word in the midst of the din, or stooping over their tubs, all of them brutal, ungainly, foul of speech, and soaked as though by a shower with their flesh red and reeking. All around the women continuously flowed a river from hot water buckets, emptied with a sudden splash, cold water faucets left dripping, soap suds spattering and the dripping from rinsed laundry which was hung up. It splashed their feet and drained away across the sloping flagstones. The din of the shouting and the rhythmic beating was joined by the patter of steady dripping. It was slightly muffled by the moisture-soaked ceiling. Meanwhile the steam engine could be heard as it puffed and snorted ceaselessly while cloaked in its white mist. The dancing vibration of its flywheel seemed to regulate the volume of the noisy turbulence. Gervaise passed slowly along the alley, looking to the right and left, carrying her laundry bundle under one arm, with one hip thrust high and limping more than usual. She was jostled by several women in the hubbub. "'This way, my dear,' cried Madame Bosch in her loud voice. Then, when the young woman had joined her at the very end on the left, the concierge, who was furiously rubbing a dirty sock, began to talk incessantly, without leaving off her work. "'Put your things there. I've got your place. Oh, I shan't be long over what I've got. Bosch scarcely dirties his things at all, and you, well, you won't be long either, will you? Your bundle's quite a little one. Before twelve o'clock we shall have finished, and we can go off to lunch.' I used to send my things to a laundress in the Rue Poulet, but she destroyed everything with her chlorine and her brushes, so now I do the washing myself. It's so much saved, it only cost the soap. I say, you should have put those shirts to soak. Those little rascals are children, oh my word! One would think their bodies were covered with soot. Gervaise, having undone her bundle, was spreading out the little one's shirts and, as Madame Bosch advised her to take a pailful of lye, she answered, "'Oh, no, warm water will do. I am used to it.' She had sorted her laundry with several coloured pieces to one side. Then, after filling her tub with four pails of cold water from the tap behind her, she plunged her pile of whites into it. "'You're used to it. 
repeated Madame Bosch. You were a washerwoman in your native place, weren't you, my dear? Gervaise, with her sleeves pushed back, displayed the graceful arms of a young blonde, as yet scarcely reddened at the elbows, and started scrubbing her laundry. She spread a shirt out on the narrow rubbing board, which was water-bleached and eroded by years of use. She rubbed soap into the shirt, turned it over, and soaped the other side. Before replying to Madame Bosch, she grasped her beetle and began to pound away so that her shouted phrases were punctuated with loud and rhythmic thumps. Yes, yes, a washerwoman. When I was ten, oh, that's twelve years ago, we used to go to the river. It smelled nicer there than it does here. Oh, you should have seen. There was a nook under the trees with clear running water. You know, at Plassin. Don't you know Plassin? It's near Marseille. Oh, how you go at it, exclaimed Madame Bosch, amazed at the strength of her blows. Oh, you could flatten out a piece of iron with your little lady-like arms. The conversation continued in a very high volume. At times the concierge, not catching what she had said, was obliged to lean forward. All the linen was beaten, and with a will. Gervaise plunged into the tub again, and then took it out once more, each article separately, to rub it over with soap a second time and brush it. With one hand she held the article firmly on the plank, with the other, which grasped the short couch-grass brush, she extracted from the linen a dirty lather, which fell in long drips. Then, in the slight noise caused by the brush, the two women drew together and conversed in a more intimate way. "'No, we're not married,' resumed Gervaise. "'I don't hide it. Lantier isn't so nice for anyone to care to be his wife. If it weren't for the children. I was fourteen, and he was eighteen when we had our first one. That happened in the usual way, you know how it is. I wasn't happy at home.' Old man Macabre would kick me in the tail whenever he felt like it, for no reason at all. I had to have some fun outside. We might have been married, but uh, I forget why. Our parents wouldn't consent. She shook her hands, which were growing red in the white suds. The water's awfully hard in Paris. Madame Bosch was now washing only very slowly. She kept leaving off making her work last as long as she could, so as to remain there to listen to that story which her curiosity had been hankering to know for a fortnight past. Her mouth was half open in the midst of her big fat face, her eyes, which were almost at the top of her head, were gleaming. She was thinking, with the satisfaction of having guessed right. "'That's it. The little one gossips too much. There's been a row.' Then she observed out loud, he isn't nice, then. Don't mention it, replied Gervaise. He used to behave very well in the country. Ah, but since we've been in Paris, he's been unbearable. I must tell you that his mother died last year and left him some money, about seventeen hundred francs. He would come to Paris. So, as old Macquart was forever knocking me about without warning, I consented to come away with him. We made the journey with two children. He was to set me up as a laundress and work himself at his trade of a hatter. We should have been very happy, but, you see, Lantier's ambition and a spendthrift, a fellow who only thinks of amusing himself, in short, he's not worth much. On arriving, we went to the Hotel Montmartre in the Rue Montmartre, and then there were dinners and cabs and the theatre, a watch for himself and a silk dress for me. 
for he's not unkind when he's got the money. You understand. He went in for everything, and it's so well that at the end, at two months, we were cleaned out. It was then that we came to live at the Hotel Moncourt, and that this horrible life began. She interrupted herself. A lump had suddenly risen in her throat, and she could scarcely restrain her tears. She had finished brushing the things. I must go and fetch my hot water, she murmured. But Madame Bosch, greatly disappointed at this break-off in the disclosures, called to the wash-house boy who was passing, My little Charles, kindly get Madame a pail of hot water. She's in a hurry. End of second part of chapter one. Recording by David Lazarus.